Welcome to The Business Shift, the no BS podcast for online entrepreneurs who are focused on transforming into successful business owners. We dive deep into the nitty gritty of what it takes to build and grow a thriving digital empire. No fluff, no hype, just real talk and proven strategies from successful business owners who have been there, done that, and are sharing their knowledge to help you do the same. So, do you think you have what it takes to make the transition from entrepreneur to business owner? Let's find out. All right, guys, welcome back to the Business Shift podcast. I'm so excited to because today we have another amazing guest on. We have Farah joining us, um, and she is going to just light up this podcast. I can't wait to bring her on, but first, let me introduce her. So Farah is a part owner of Seven Sister Scones, a Johns Creek specialty bakery, and a communications professional. Uh, she's responsible for marketing and growing the bakery's business nationally. Um, and she is also a voiceover artist and writer, which is so cool. Um, so prior to her work with the Seven Sister Scones, she spent 20 years executing, uh, executing integrated communication campaigns in the financial services, high tech, and manufacturing industries. So she definitely has has a lot of experience there. Um, she's using her creative uh, to bring various skills to people and brand stories to life. Um, in her spare time, she's a dedicated volunteer, helping several nonprofits expand programs and fundraising. She is passionate about community, good food. We have that in common um, and leaving the world a little better than she found it. Farrah lives in Georgia with her husband and two beautiful children. She holds a master of business administration from Boston University School of Management and a bachelor of Science from California State University, Hayward. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Okay. I've got to know more about your background. Okay. So here, because I, there's so much that I want to dive into. So, um, here on the business shift, we like to focus specifically on going from entrepreneur where it's just me, myself and I in the business to, okay, I'm now a business owner where I'm creating a thriving, profitable business. So I would love to know what has been your personal journey from entrepreneur to business owner. So it's, it's, it's very convoluted. I'll start with that. So um, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. We've always been, you know, I grew up between the Middle East and the U.S. So the Middle East, it's very common to have family businesses. It's kind of the norm. Um, so almost everybody in my family has been their own business at some point, oh, wow. you know, so it's kind of assumed. So on, on my bachelor's, I got it in marketing and I worked for, you know, companies. And then I'm like, Okay, I'm going to do my master's. I'm going to do an entrepreneurship because I have a feeling that's where I'm going. And I just figured out that the corporate life wasn't for me. So I ended up dabbling in a lot of things. And I spent, um, got a good seven years as a marketing freelancer, which is like kind of an, uh, if you want to determine that as an entrepreneur rather than like someone who's just, you know, like an Elon Musk who's making this, uh, you know, weird idea. So I did that yeah. for a while. <laughs> Um, and then I ended up opening the bakery, which is very much a small business. Yeah. My husband also has a small business, but he's, it's kind of, it's so hard to determine sometimes to differentiate those things because you kind of swing in and out of them through the course of any business. Right. Um, but yeah, I've done a lot of that. We, I also um, created a product 
with my husband at one point where we got patented. We own like a couple of patents on this product, never came to fruition, never got it to market for good reason. (laughs) Um, Like it was a testing. We were just going. (laughs) Uh, If if I learned anything from that, it's like, if you want to like, learn the different phases of a business, the best thing to do is actually work for someone else or just follow someone else while they're doing it. So you can learn on their dime rather than learning. Instead of like trying to reinvent the wheel. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So that's a bit of my background, but there's a lot in between there. You know, obviously the, the bakery is a, I would, I would term it a small business. So we're not producing anything that's very innovative you know it's a food product but the way we're approaching it is definitely a small business so you have employees and you know a retail space versus an e-commerce space versus you know there's all the different ways you can manage a food business so there's you know multitude of ways you could go and making all those decisions it's definitely a small business right yeah and so i would love to know because you know, hiring on employees, you've obviously grown Mm -hmm. the business past just yourself. Right. And it's actually a legit thing now. So I would love to know, um, what is your definition or what would you say is the biggest difference between an entrepreneur and a business owner? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of entrepreneurs that I work with, they use this word interchangeably Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at it and going, uh, they are not the same thing. So I'd love to know your perspective on that. So, okay. So I come like a lot of my background in entrepreneurship is actually like in high tech entrepreneurship. Yeah. For me, an entrepreneur is someone that is actually doing something very innovative that the market has probably not seen before. Mm -hmm. All right. And they are then going out, usually raising money. And I mean, serious money. I mean, millions of dollars, Serie A, Serie B funding, angel, it's really angel, Series A, Series B funding, right? That to me is an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Someone who's just like managing a coaching business or doing marketing, that's a freelancer solopreneur, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Very different as well. Yeah. Um, And then a small business owner is usually somebody that's manages something that's a day-to-day but it's not necessarily an innovative concept okay so for me it's like a franchisee small business owner um somebody who opens their own sewing shop even Mm -hmm. if they're doing something innovative with clothing that's really not like so innovative that the world has never seen it before right yeah um so a sewing shop a graphic a graphic designer i put them under a solopreneur yeah right rather than that so those are very different types of businesses Right. What they need from you is very different. What I'll tell you, what I see is the common string between all of them. And what I see a lot of people missing is as the owner, CEO, head, whatever you want to call yourself, right? Right. Here are all these innovative titles. Yeah. Most people miss that their first and only responsibility to that business is to bring cash in. Mm. it's not to manage the business. It's not to operate in the business. It is to bring cash in, whether through its funding, sales, whatever it is. You have to continually bring cash in. That is your number one priority. Oh, I love that. And, and so as you're making that transition and before I kind of, I guess, before I get into this question, Walk me through the differences that you see specifically between an entrepreneur and a solopreneur, because you brought that up. And that was interesting because I work with people who are in the coaching space. So people Mm -hmm. who are doing online coaching programs and a lot of them would call themselves entrepreneurs, but it sounds like you're defining them more as solopreneurs. So I would love to know what would you say the difference is between them? 
So for me, a solopreneur usually offers some kind of service like coaching. Yeah. Um, they're usually not doing something severely innovative unless they're going out and they're creating like a whole new system. Right. You know, like like Anthony Robbins is one of those people that I would kind of put in the entrepreneurial character. But look at what he did. He didn't go out and coach. Right. right. He created an entire educational systems and he has a huge company underneath him. Most, right. most entrepreneurs are transitioning into actually being small to medium sized business business owners. Yeah. And we'll go over that transition because it's a very interesting one. Um, and there's actually a word for it that they teach you during your MBA, which is oh. um, there's it's called the founder's dilemma. Basically, when the fa- the businesses outgrows the founder's capability. Yeah. And what do they do then? Right. Oh, yeah. It's it's an entire like they, they spend weeks on it <laughs> when you're in, in business school. Yeah. But so for me, those are solopreneurs. They're basically offering a service or something. They're doing it on their own. So it's their own business. They're actually managing it. They usually don't have any kind of physical infrastructure, usually. Yeah. Right. Um, and they usually don't manage a whole ton of employees. They usually have a bunch of 1099ers or freelancers doing like little social media or stuff for them. But right. they are the business. Right. Right. An entrepreneur is someone who's creating a software, an mm-hmm. innovative product like a Tesla, like right. a software that caters to manufacturing businesses trying to do their inventory. That person is creating a process or a service or a product that they're going to go out and market and eventually create a small to medium sized business from, right? right? They start as entrepreneurs and usually the big difference, honestly, are the capital requirements. Yeah. So entrepreneurs usually need millions of dollars in capital requirements versus small business owners. You usually you're under half a million, right? Yeah. Or at right. least under a million, depending on the franchisee. Like you have some McDonald's and Chick-fil-A franchisees that you need like a million in net worth and stuff like that. But that's right. different. But you, yeah. that you're being handed a process. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's how I distinguish it. They're very different. Yeah. Okay. I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to see the differences. So would do you see that there's a process for a solopreneur to be able to go into being a small business owner, a medium business mm-hmm. owner, or do they have to go from solopreneur to entrepreneur to then business owner? What, what do you think from your perspective is the process that you walk through? Oh, it kind of, um, it's very interesting. So I'll give you one that I found interesting. Let's say um, a service like design pickle or Canva. Yeah. Right. They started off as graphic designers. Right actually pickle design pickle he wasn't a graphic designer he was someone who needed graphic design services right right and then they went and they created a product mm-hmm. canvas a product yeah. design pickle product they sell out a product so they had to move into the entrepreneurial phase yeah. they needed to make make these huge investments and capital investments into creating this product and then they went into being now they've moved it to a small business meaning right. business so it, it you know, they're, they're, we can always argue about these distinctions, but for me, yeah. if you're just a coach out there selling your coaching services, I'll give you a great example that most people are very, you know, Marie Forleo. Mm, okay. Marie Forleo started off as a solopreneur. Right. Then she created B-School. That's mm-hmm. a product. Mm-hmm. She went into an entrepreneurial phase. Now, she didn't need as much capital requirements, maybe a little bit. Right. Moved into that. And now she has a small and medium-sized business. She has Got employees, it. you know, you, it's different. She's not, she's not sitting there coaching people one-on-one anymore. Right. Yeah. She's so, yeah, that's a really good point. So it sounds like the uh, transition is when your business goes from being 
from you being the center of it as a solopreneur mm -hmm. to, okay, we now have the business being its separate energy uh, entity because there's a product that's yeah. now the center of it. And then it becomes a small business or a medium business or even a large business. The more that you outsource, the more that you grow and the more people that you have supporting that product. Yeah. Is that right? That, yes. And you know what a good litmus test is? Mm -hmm. The litmus test is if that person died tomorrow, is can the company survive without them? Right. And right. most coaching businesses, they can't. No, they can't. Like Tony Robbins and Marie Folio, they can. Why? Because they have books, they have product, et cetera. Now, I would say, you know, they'll die off eventually because they'll just get dated. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, they, they literally have built small and medium-sized businesses. But they started off as solopreneurs. They started off as coaches. Right. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, this is so interesting. Okay, so I want to go back to that concept that you were talking about, the founder's dilemma. Uh -huh. The founder's Let's dilemma. dive into that. Tell me a little bit more about that, because I'm, I'm really curious as to like what you learned about that and how that applies into the shift mm -hmm. between entrepreneur and business owner, because that's right where I'm at. Like I'm looking at it going, okay, I have a product now that I started as solopreneur. Mm -hmm. I've got a product now. Now it's ready to transition to employees. So how do you, yeah, I just want to know all about that. <laughs> all right. So the founder's dilemma is very common. It's usually very common with the high tech companies too. So what essentially happens is someone comes up with an innovative idea. Yahoo's yeah. a great example. Facebook is a great example, right? So they go and they drive it and they get this idea and it catches fire and the company starts to grow. So when companies start to grow, you start to need to insert levels of management to control the chaos, right? Right. These founders, that is often not their strong suit. Mm -hmm. And because often they have um, went ahead and gotten VC money, yeah. right? They usually gotten venture capital. They've gotten some outside funding. Yeah. What ends up happening is the outside funders say, we need some grownups in the room. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. And for us to need grownups, we're going to hire a CEO for you. This has happened at Google, at Yahoo, at Facebook. You know, that's who Sheryl Sandberg was. She was the adult okay. to Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. I forget like Google and Yahoo, what their names are, but they, they all were transitioned. I mean, I remember, and that's because I'm old enough to remember this, but I was in Silicon Valley when Yahoo was still like the thing, right? Yeah. Yahoo was still the Google. <laughs> and um, one of the founders used to race cars. Yeah. And they prevented him from doing it because mm -hmm. it, it messed every time he raced a car, it messed up the stock. So they actually insured him and yeah. then prevented him from racing cars. So it's it's that kind of it's that those things that as you grow, you have layers of management that need to come in. And usually the original founders, it just outgrows their skill level. They can manage maybe a million dollars worth of revenue. They can't manage 10 million because that's a right. different level of execution, different level of management. Yeah. And if you're someone who has ever worked in corporate America, what you realize for a very extended period is as you go up the corporate ladder, your job becomes less and less and less about executing whatever your position is and becomes more and more and more just about managing the people that are actually executing the work you're responsible for. Got it. And so as the company grows and you kind of get yourself into the position where you are, you're no longer the, the only expert in the room, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're, you're getting people who are, are way more intelligent than you. They have more experience. So then how do you still maintain like your business? Cause I'm looking at it and going like, is that then attractive for people to grow their business to a, that big point? If they, if, if they feel like it's going to just outgrow them eventually. So this is an excellent question. Yeah. And it often comes up for people when they're going for funding. 
because mm-hmm. they have to dilute the amount of ownership they have, right? They have to yeah. give away. And the, the usually what's said to them is, well, do you want 100% of a $100,000 pie or do you want 50% of $10 million? Mm-hmm. And yes, so there's that. But there's yeah. also questions of control. And mm-hmm. a lot of founders make the mistake of not really reading agreements very carefully or mm-hmm. accepting bad um, terms Mm-hmm. because they're desperate for cash to grow and they think, oh, it'll be fine. They don't realize that those VCs will basically fire them. And I've seen it ha- happen because so uh, we also do a lot of angel investing and stuff like that. So I've yeah. seen it from the other side of the VC where the VC is just like, just let them grow it to five million and we'll fire them at five million and put in our own people. Mm. You know, and that happens. So you have to be very careful when you're taking money, who you're taking from. Now, on the flip side of your question is, I also know a lot of business owners who have said, I'm content here. Yeah. I don't want to grow. Right. I'm good. I'm making enough money to keep me happy. Yeah. I don't want to grow the business because that means I'm either going to have to bring in external players, accept external money, lose control. And I'm not willing to do that. I will tell you, my husband is one of them. My husband runs a business. I must be a 10, $15 million a year business. Yeah. Um, he runs it on three people. Wow. Three, four people. Yeah. And wow. I keep telling him, you you really need to come in. And he looks at me, he's like, well, if you'll come and be my CEO, I'll go ahead and grow the company. But but he right. and he doesn't even have to accept outside. He's like, I just hate managing people. It is my weakness. I'm not mm-hmm. good at it. And right. I refuse to do it. I don't need to. Yeah. And that's his that's a choice. It's an active choice you make. Um, and I will I will caution people this growth at all costs. We're often as business people, we're like growth at all costs. We've got to keep growing. Yeah. Growth at all costs doesn't always work out. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Because you have different goals. Yes. Based off of what you want for the business. And so how would you recommend clarifying your goals and go, okay, so let's say you're starting right there from the bottom. You're like a solopreneur, right? Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not really reinventing the wheel, right. In terms of creating this super innovative product, but you know, okay, maybe we'll want to create a product at some point. So then it's not around me. So then how do you, how do you decide when is enough for you? Is it when you just get to that point and you look at it and go, yeah, this is good. Or do you actually like think through that? Do you have a process for that? So there's a lot of, so you have a bazillion um, kind of, sorry, choices you make as you grow, right? So what I would ask people always to look at is what is the lifestyle you want to lead? You know, are you in this business for two, five, 10, 15, 20 years, especially if you're an older entrepreneur? I mean, that's one of the questions I had to ask my sister and I had to ask ourselves when we got into this business when I was just turning 40, almost, yeah. I was 39, yeah. 40. And I was like, well, is this, you know, if it was 20, I'd be like, I'll be in this for 30 years. I'll grow it until, you know, now right. I'm like, I, I don't know if I got more than 10 to 50, like 10 years in me. I don't know if I want this to be my last gig. So first right. lifestyle, yeah, you know, how long are you willing to be in the business? Yeah. And then what, you know, and how you, do you want to work? I mean, I'll use Marie Forleo again as an example. She was very clear from the very beginning. She did not want a physical place to go to every day. She mm. wanted to create a virtual company. So she set it up like that. Yeah. Right? And I guarantee you that Marie Forleo has turned down massive opportunities to stay true to that right. because she prioritized what lifestyle she wanted. Yep. Right. And that yep. is often at the cost of money. And second, how much money do you want? Uh. Right. How much do you need to make? And is it that important to you? There are some entrepreneurs where it's not important to them. Yeah. I mean, even like, look at Pentagonia. The guy's like, 
I couldn't care less about the money. I he gave it away to his employees. He just yeah. did it because he loved it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, lifestyle, how much money do you want to do? How much control do you want to have? Yeah. Those are all really, really, really um, important questions that you should answer early because yeah. it affects what what it affects decisions you'll make further down the line. Right. Like how many yeah. people you're going to hire, right. whether you're going to do it in an office. Because that also affects, you know, like possibilities. If you're not going to hire anybody in an office, you know, why don't you go ahead and do virtual stuff? You have access to the best talent across the nation. But how right. you set up your systems is going to be very different. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, the, so these I mean, are all like questions you really need to think about and ask yourself prior to making these decisions. Yeah. So I'm curious as to what yours is. Like, have you thought through this and you've made a decision if you're willing to share that? Oh, absolutely. So I made every rookie mistake in the book, which is why I can talk about it. So I was going to say, like, you've learned from your own mistakes. I have. I have. Um, so I'll give you an I'll give you an example with the bakery. Right. Yeah. So when we started the bakery, we we're like, oh, we're, we're going to be a wholesale bakery. Mm. Wholesale. Right. And I was down with that. I'm like, wholesale produce millions, right. sell millions. You don't have to be there a day. You're not tied to a retail schedule, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Except the space we rented was a retail space and we rented it because it was close to our homes. Mm. Lifestyle decision. Right. Yeah. But probably not the right one. If you wanted um, to go wholesale. Yes. We ho rented a retail and we didn't build like mass manufacturing equipment in there. Yeah. And like, I'm looking at myself thinking back now, like, why did we do that? And <laughs> we, um, when we first opened, we added seating. Oh. So we were like, kind of like, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll sell the extras in mm -hmm. retail. And what happened was retail really took over. Yeah. Right. Because that's what you built the business on. That's what we kind of built the business on. And it was like, we were there all the time. And I, I had young children at the time. My husband traveled almost 50% of the time. I, I looked at my sister. I said, I, I can't, like, I can't be involved in the day-to-day -day retail. I will be here marketing, da-da-da. Yeah. And about right before COVID hit, I was like, look, we, we then we got an opportunity to be on QVC. And I'm like, let's do it. Like, this is oh, wholesale nice. heaven, right? Yeah. And my sister was like, yeah, and we did it. And it, it really it literally almost killed us because we made everything from scratch. Like we were, we were Man. used to doing like production levels just to think about, we were used to doing like 2000 scones a week. We had to do 25,000 scones in four days. Four. Whoa. That's a massive increase. By, yeah. By hand. We did oh everything goodness. by hand. So it, 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 it actually cut into our profitability. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. a profitable venture for us. And that was our fault. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I just looked at myself. That was like the end of 2018. I said, I like this was not what I wanted. This was the wholesale. So she was like, you know, maybe we should look at transitioning you a little bit. Da, da, da. And we were talking about that and COVID hit. Yeah. So the business went into complete crisis. Yeah. And as a business owner, I'm sure you can relate. The minute your baby goes into crisis, you're going to be there to save it. Yeah. Um, and I just went all in. Although, uh, funnily enough, my, you know, we thankfully in Georgia were not asked to, we were considered an essential business. So we were never asked to close. Nice. Um, so we stayed open with safeguards and, you know, we removed seating. We did all that. But what really right. happened is, our shipping arm, which I had insisted on from the beginning. I'm like, if we're going to do wholesale, we're going to do D to C, right? Yep. Our shipping arm took off 
it was like all it replaced wow. all of our retail revenue with shipping because people couldn't go anywhere and they were yeah. looking for gifts to send and we were there ready right we had done this we had worked all the kinks out um and then we got covered by a good housekeeping and the today show wow and uh, it exploded right so now now after covid our business is 50% dtc and 50% retail okay wow so now I still manage mostly the DDT stuff. I'm in the cafe. I do stuff for them, but I'm not in the day-to-day. And that was yeah. a lifestyle choice on my part. And sometimes I actually feel a little bit guilty about it because I'm like, this business could grow so much more if I was there in the day-to-day, you know? Right. But again, that's a, that's a trade-off we've made. And I have to tell you, because it's my sister and I, I've been able to make that trade-off. If we had outside money, yeah, they would have held my feet to the fire and said, no, 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 no. Yeah. Right. You guys made these decisions. You have to. Actually, they probably wouldn't have let us do the retail from the beginning. They were like, <laughs> you have to do our wholesale. Anyway. <laughs> so, okay, you know, we made every every mistake in the book. Like I looked mm-hmm. at my sister. I said, I studied coffee shop for three years before opening this bakery with you. And everything that everyone told me not to do, I did. You know, we did a white box instead of like buying a pre-done place. Yeah. If you're ever going to open a coffee shop, never do a white box, buy, buy a place that's going out of business. Just <laughs> Okay, um, good to know. I'll keep that in mind if I yeah. want to do coffee. <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, you know, and, and we didn't pick the look like, and we were like, oh, we're going to pick this location because it's not as expensive as other retails because we're yeah. only doing wholesale. Well, we ended up doing retail in a bad location. Like, mm-hmm. so it's, it was like all those mistakes that we made. I look back at it and I'm like, you really did know better. Yeah. Um, and we probably shouldn't have done it, but we we kind of got caught up. And that's one thing business happens to business owners. They get caught up in the survival, the day-to-day. And they yeah. work in their business rather than on their business. And it shows. Okay. I love that concept. So how do you how do you get yourself there? Especially if you're coming from being an entrepreneur or a solopreneur where you're so in the day-to-day. And now mm-hmm. you you've gotten the business to the point where it's like, okay, like. By me being in the day today, it's hurting the business. So mm-hmm. how do you make that transition? Because so many people are attached to their businesses like it's their baby. Okay. The first thing you have to accept is that for every job you did, you're probably going to need to hire two people to mm-hmm. replace you. Why two? Because A, um, you one could quit. Yeah. You know, it's a free labor market. Yeah. Uh, to, or they get sick or something happens to them. Like, you know, employees are like, they have lives, right? Obviously. Right. So one could quit. Second, um, you're never going to be, they're never going, going to care as much and they shouldn't like, I, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they're employees. You're yeah. the owner. You're going to care. You're going to go over the detail. You built those systems. You're going to be hyper aware of anything that goes wrong in the system. And your office, honestly, someone who probably thinks systemically, which is not how most employees think, right? Mm-hmm. Most employees are like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. Um, and you, you can say, no, I'm only going to hire highly entrepreneurial employees and I'll say that to the, this to that. If you ha- can build a vision that is big enough where other people can have their own entrepreneurial visions, that's going to work out very well for you. But if you're in a mm-hmm. business that, you know, I don't have that kind of growth space right now. Right. So the people that I'm hiring are not entrepreneurial. Yeah. If they were, they'd be doing their own thing. 
Right. And <laughs> they would leave. <laughs> yeah. So you got to assume that it's going to take more that you're not going to be a one-to-one -one replacement, yeah. right? There's just not yeah. going to be that. Mm -hmm. um, you have to figure out what are the items. So when you hire people, a lot of people just tend to immediately, like all the admin work, give it away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's smart. But what happens is the employee often gets bored because it's boring work. Ah, uh, yeah. And then um, you're paying for something that really you should look at your employees like, how can they generate revenue for you? Yeah. So my thing, because then you're like paying for something that feels like it's a sunk cost. It's like, yeah. I could do this or da, da, da. So for right. me, like stuff, there are certain things like accounting, da, da, da. You can freelance that. Like don't yeah. hire an employee for that. Right. And make sure that the employee, like whatever they're taking over, like for us, the bakers, yeah, the baking, we can get them to do that, right? They're producing yeah. the product. All the cooking, they're doing that. My sister still conceptualized parts of the menu, but she's given some of that away because she has two people who are very innovative and, and they want to share their ideas. It's like, you know what? Let's You can do right. that. I used to tape boxes like all the time. I used to sit there taking, taping, but what a waste of my yeah. time. Right. I can teach someone to tape a box, but then yeah. I also take that person and say, okay, you're doing all the shipping. What else are you really interested in? I really am interested in social media. Okay. Why don't you do the social media too? Yeah. You know, I'll guide you on content and stuff, but go ahead and do that. Like you have to give people, it, it can't be a one-way street of what you want to do. You have to sometimes curate their tasks yeah. so that they stay engaged and interested. And yeah. they are actually producing something of value to you, right? Because it's easy to get them into busy work. Like, oh, God, I've got 40 hours. I really only need 32. But, you know, and that's the other thing with employees. A lot of people, like, when they do the, the creative art of their financial projections, that's <laughs> creative, um, they often will count an employee at, like, oh, I only need somebody. Like, I can get someone for 17 hours. No, you can't. You can't get yeah. someone for something. like they need to be able to earn a living. Right. So that's and that's really hard too. like yeah. sometimes you have to overplay for labor, which right. is very hard just to make, like get over that hump, that growth hump. Right. Oh, man. So many, so many really good points here that are just like expanding my mind. So I love this. I love this so much. So um, I would love to know, like, what was the biggest shift that you saw in yourself when going through? this transition from, would you say you started off as an entrepreneur or a solopreneur? Solopreneur. So, so solopreneur. how did you, yeah. What was the biggest shift that you saw in yourself from solopreneur to business owner? Uh, it's the responsibility of other people. Mm. There's a freedom in being a solopreneur. Yeah. Something fails. Something doesn't go right. You mess up. It's you. Yeah. Right. Like obviously you're concerned about your, income and all that but it's just you right um when covid hit more than anything we felt the responsibility of our employees right not just financially because that was a big concern yeah um but also their health yeah like you are caring for people and if you're not cut out for that i would not become a small business owner. And I really thank God for my sister. My sister actually has a PhD in psychology. She's a trained oh, family wow. therapist. Yeah. She's, That's you know, handy. Yeah. 
So uh, we, yeah, we kind of joke with all of our employees, like free therapy is part of your employment package. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she, she has that love and care for people that yeah. has really, um, it's why our employees stay so long in a business that's very like, you know, employees yeah. come and go a lot um, because she cares deeply about them. Yeah. And, and so do I, uh, she's just in touch with them more than I am. Right. right. Um, but th the biggest shift for me was really carrying that burden of yeah. other people. Yep. And I really learned how to, I used to be like the type that got so excited and then so in the dumps and so excited. And you just can't, when, especially because you're dealing with other people, you really have to provide this steady leadership. When things yeah. are great, guys, things are great. Let's enjoy it while it lasts. Da -da. Things are bad. Don't worry. We're going through a little rough spot. We're going to get yeah. through it. You know, right. that kind of that kind of steady leadership yeah. that steadies everybody. Um, that was that was a process for me to develop. And I, I, again, I thank my sister. My sister is 11 years older than me. She's also yeah. kind of like has always been kind of like my mom figure. So. <laughs> right. She really guided me through that. And I used to get so frustrated. I'm like, this is really good. Why aren't you happy? And she's like, like celebrate. <laughs> I'm steady, Eddie. Yeah. When things are good, I don't go too high. And when things are bad, I don't go too low. Stay right. steady. You know? Yeah. And I'll never forget, like, when we when we did the good housekeeping thing. Yeah. I mean, we knew we were going to get a huge bump in sales, right? Yeah. And I'm like, well, what if we're not able to fill them? What if we're the, uh, 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 right? And she just looks at me. She's like, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And what we don't, we'll figure out how not to figure it out. Like just yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's it. That's so good. Okay. So how did you get yourself to that point where you could not get too high on the highs and too low on the lows and just be able to maintain that? Did you do courses? Did you read books? Like, how did you get to that point as a leader? Yeah, lots of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's there, it, you know, and, and lots of talking with my sister and just really seeing, I think the, the best thing for me was you know, watching her modeling of it. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, if you can get an, a mentor or somebody that is very unlike you, like a lot of people want to attract people that they want to be like, or get someone that actually balances you out. Right. Yeah, right. Um, so my sister and I have that balance thing going. Yeah. Um, and just seeing her modeling it. And I just started to really, um, anytime I got good news is to take it with a grain of salt. Cause a lot of good news falls apart very quickly to take right, it with yeah. a grain of salt. And anytime I got bad news to just say, figure it out once we'll figure it out again. Let's just see. Cause just like the good things, like the bad things will pass just as quickly as the good things do. Yeah. And I think, you know, my sister and I are really nice. I, yeah. I think we're less nice now. I have to admit, like, we're just like, we've been really nice. Yeah. And, um, like I'll give you an example. I hired a, a web company and they yeah. talked great. And at first it was great. And the first versions were good and we were working through it. Yeah. And then just like nothing was happening and nothing was happening and nothing was happening. And finally I, um, you know, I, I figured out that the, this guy had basically ghosted us. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, my, I was kind of like, are we just going to eat it? Like, are we going to yeah. eat all the money that we that we paid out, like the deposits and stuff? And we didn't. We ended up, you know, actually, we ended up going to the cops, basically. Yeah. Um, right. But it was it was like 
you know, the get, getting that thing, questioning, being really exacting with people, all of that is um, you learn that skill. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And I bet that's super important. Especially as women, we're taught yeah. to be nice all the yeah. time and we shouldn't be. You don't yeah. have to be nice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like you want to yeah. be exact. You want to be able to be clear with what you need and what you want and what you expected. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm, I love that so much. Okay. Well, this is, this is really good. So uh, I guess my last question for you is looking back now, as you've kind of gone through this whole journey, um, what advice would you give to someone looking to, I mean, you've already given so much advice, but if we're going to direct some like very specific tactical advice to making that transition to someone who's a car, like a hardcore solopreneur, Mm-hmm. How do they step into being a business owner if that's what they really want? Like if they want to make that transition. Be very clear on what your focus is mm-hmm. and don't deviate from it. I'm not saying don't be flexible. Let me be very careful. You're going to be flexible, but you got to know what your goal is, right? Like yeah. if your goal, let's say, if you're a coach and you've put together this um, program on how to coach uh, teens in crisis and you want to roll it out to schools across yeah. the nation, right? And then someone hears you somewhere talk about it and they go, oh, my God, like therapists would really benefit from this. Why don't you roll it out to therapists? I can introduce you to 50 therapists yeah. tomorrow and you'll be, you know, in the black in a month. And yeah, and it's so tempting <laughs> to do that. But, and then maybe, maybe you go back and revisit it and go, that's it. Now I'm only all in on therapists. But when you're first beginning, you have such limited resources. Yeah. Right. Be grateful. Be very grateful for the limitations you have. Most, most Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs are like, Oh, I hate having limitations. If I had an unlimited marketing budget, I could get this out. No, if you had an unlimited marketing budget, you blow half of it and not have the sales. I was going to say, you probably wouldn't know what to do with it. (laughs) Exactly. No. And you blow it. You would blow it. Your limitations provide discipline and discipline creates focus and focus creates success. That's how simple it is. So be grateful. If you have a limitation now that you think if it just wasn't for that, I would mm-hmm. be able to do it. Be grateful for it. Learn from it and build w- beyond it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like I, I'll I'll give you an example of my own life. Like one of the things when we started the bakery, my, my sister had unlimited support from all of us, like childcare, this, this, that, yeah. whatever she needed, whatever we needed. Our family was so wonderful. And I kind of wish they weren't. Yeah, because it would force us to focus a little bit more and not do everything under the sun trying to chase revenue. Right. Right. Um, So, yeah, just be really clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish and build from that. And don't be afraid to say no to opportunities, because let's say if going back to that example, let's say in, in two years you've rolled out some schools and now you think the therapist stuff is really a good idea. You can go back to that person as long as you end it grace, like say no gracefully. Right. You can go back. Opportunities yeah. will come back. There will be other opportunities. Don't yeah. be afraid to say no. Be flexible, yeah. but not so flexible that you're forgetting what you're trying to do. Right. And would you say that by dialing in that focus, that's what um, brings the discipline? Absolutely. When you dial in that focus, then you, you get very disciplined to say no. It becomes very easy to know what to say no to, right? Yeah. Like if I'm doing a wholesale business and I get offered a great retail shop, I'm going to say no. Yeah. 
I'm going to go find a reason we did. And then, oh, um, you know, this chef wants to come in and, and I don't know, you know, whatever it is. Right. It, it, it clarity, being clear on your focus brings clarity in your decisions. Yeah. Oh, right, man. Okay. I've absolutely loved this conversation. <laughs> and so where can people find you? Where can they connect with you um, if they want to hear more from you and just be a part of your world? So um, best place probably is Instagram. It's Farah Haydar and uh, also farahaydar.com. That has everything like podcasts, the scones, everything is on there, is linked on there as well. So yeah. those are probably the two best places. So if okay. you want to connect with me personally, if you want to do the scones, go to sevensisterscones.com. Amazing. Oh man, I love that. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish up? Oh man. Um, yeah, I just think anybody who's, who's doing, who's trying to do this business, like more power to you. Just remember, be patient. It'll come yeah. and stay focused, my friends. Cause that's really all you need to do, man. Thank you thank so, you. so much. All right. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Business Shift Podcast, where we chat about no-nonsense insights and strategies to help you transform your online business into a successful empire. The question is, now what? It's time for action, baby. So if you found value in this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast for more actionable tips and inspiring interviews with successful business owners. Also, if you know of others who would benefit from the information today, I would truly appreciate the share. Until next time, keep shifting your business towards success.